0: before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Disneyland, uh, oh. California. And we're getting a picture on the TV. One small step for man. One We're going to the moon. If you're excited about that, let your neighbor know it's going to be a good trip. It's going to be a great trip. It's funny, when I say this to my children, they're actually believing of it. When you say it to adults, they're like, ah, it's just a sermon series, you know, But there's something about the heart of a child that still believes that space travel is possible. And I want to believe that this series is going to stir that in us as a church. God said, Jesus said, that if you have faith like a child, you will inherit the kingdom of God. And I believe that God wants to stir our hearts for moon missions. Um, I've said it since we started last week. If human hands can place man on the moon, how much more so can the power of God take you and I into spaces and places we never dreamt of in our lives? I believe God wants to take us somewhere, friends, and so to kick off this morning, I want to jump straight into a moment in a movie called Chronicles of Narnia. Any of Narnia fans, Narnia fans in the house today, is C.S. Lewis, I want to tell you, if you haven't seen it, you've got to check it out, it is awesome, awesome August, it's awesome August, tap your neighbor and say, it's awesome August. Do you know you can speak good things into being? Did you know you could have had an average last week, but you can make an awesome next week? You could actually change it for yourself. That's the good news today, but hopefully God will join us in our pursuit of these things. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. I want to preach a message today titled Moon Missions and Stepping Out of the Safe Zone because I believe that there is a call for the church to step out of the comfort zone and into the place of calling. Calling is never found in comfort. I want to tell you that destiny always comes at a price. And perhaps for some of you, you're living in the price that was paid by your parents' generation, but it came at someone's price. And I want to tell you that Jesus paid a great price for us to live in a great destiny I really think it's to, it's to belittle the gospel to believe that all this narrows down to is a meeting we do once a week on a Sunday. Now, I believe in moon missions. I believe in people that can change the world. I believe in businesses that can shape culture and influence nations. I believe in families. Yes, last time you checked, the family tree wasn't much to be talking about, but I believe in families that can shift it for the next generations and children that can go further than we ever dreamt of. I believe in moon missions, amen? Amen. 10 10 a.m. You're going to have to work with me today. Amen means so be it. So if you believe in moon missions, give me a little amen, so be it. I want to go to the moon. If you're from Durban and you want to make it local, say it with me like this. I'm vying moon. I'm vying moon. All right. Destiny comes with a price. Calling is never without cost. I love how John Gray said it like this. He said, there is nothing casual about the gospel. There's nothing casual about the gospel. It is an urgent and courageous call to more. And uh, for sure, you may have arrived today feeling weary. And uh, we have permission in this church to be ourselves, by the way. And so not every Sunday has to be your best Sunday. But I want you to join us in believing that it's going to get better in Christ. Amen. And so maybe there's a moment in time where we carry you and the faith of this house carries you and the faith of your friends carries you and the faith of our worship carries you. But I want you to know there is nothing casual about the gospel and so even though you may be having a down day or a hard moment, or maybe there's been a diagnosis that's really just rattled your world, I want to tell you that we are together going to carry you forward. God, by His presence, is going to carry us forward. We're vying moon. And so I believe in that in this place. I've got three thoughts today around what it means to step into destiny, understanding that there is a price to be paid, understanding that it's not going to just fall on our laps. Uh, I love marrying people. Uh, Two of our friends are back in the house today, J.D. and Amber (laughs) MacMillan, newlyweds, looking alive and joyful, and it's just so beautiful. And whenever I have the chance to marry couples or do the ceremony, I always say the same thing because I believe it's powerful and true. I always say great marriages are there for the taking, for sure. Just don't expect it to fall in your lap. And I want to say that a great God walk is there for the taking. A great God story is there for the taking. But the one thing I've learned is it ain't going to fall in your lap. Christ has fought for great victory, but we need the confidence to walk into it. How many of you know it takes courage to walk into the things of God? And I'm learning that there is a call to the church to be courageous in our faith, not to fight for things that we think we can earn. That's to make it about us. But to walk into things that God has earned for us because it's always about Him, moon missions, and stepping out of the safe zone. The first thing, if you want to live on the moon, walk on the moon, get to the moon, do great things, build great businesses, you've got to learn to burn the plow. Burn the plow. If you're writing down notes, write this down. Burn the plow. You've got to let go to take hold of. There is this simple thought I've come to learn, uh, that when it comes to walking with God in spaces and places I never dreamt of being, It means letting go of something to take hold of something else. You can't have it all, so to speak. And there's a story in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, which is the call of a man by the name of Elisha. Elisha would go on to become one of the greatest prophets of Israel, but he would walk in the footsteps of Elijah. You may have heard of Elijah. Well, Elisha did double what Elijah did, and we see the transfer take place, and something powerful is said when Elisha is invited into his next season. Listen to this. 1 Kings 19, it says this. So Elijah went on from there, And found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So Elisha was working when God's will came through to him. You know, uh, kind of finding God's will for your life is not a passive thing. It is an active pursuit of what God is calling you to for sure God can speak and God can show you things. But I wanna say that so much more happens when we're just actively going about our day. We're giving this day our best and God intercepts it with even better. And so Elisha verse 20, Elijah, sorry, says to him just before this 19 says, he went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. In those days it was very common practice for a mantle, they call it, or a cloak, as it's represented, to be cast on somebody else. So it would be a, a skin of an animal, perhaps, or uh, whatever it was made of. They would cast it onto the next, and basically what it would do is it would transfer authority and responsibility, so for us, we read the story and we're like, that's strange. Like, he threw his cloak over him. But in their culture, it was perfectly normal to suggest that there is a new season coming. There is new authority and responsibility for your life coming. Now, I believe this is what God wants to say to the church. Listen to what Elisha says. He then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. There was an urgency in him. There was a, there was a shift toward the new Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Verse 21, so Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people, and so they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. Really what I'm reading in this thing is when you pursue God, we burn the plow, which simply means this, there's no plan B. We live in a culture that loves to make many plans, and we waste our energy on many things instead of pursuing the one thing. I've I've known that to be true in my life. I'm trying to kind of bet against the odds, if you like. You know, if this doesn't work out, I can always move there. If this doesn't work out, I can always, listen, I'm not saying that planning is wrong. I'm not saying that having multiple strategies is wrong. Hear what you need to hear this morning, all right? Don't hear what I have to say. Hear what God's trying to tell you. But one thing I've realized is a plan B often sabotages the possibility of plan A. I was in Stellenbosch a few years ago, and uh, man, as I've got a bit older, I've started to lose a bit of that childlike confidence, you know, that willingness to just jump in regardless. Back then, I was kind of like up for anything daily. Amen for a bit of like childlike stupidity that takes us into places, you know. Anyway, some people are not sure that's a good word in church. And so I was 20 years old, and uh, there was a place just outside of Stellenbosch. It was kind of like an initiation space for water polo. And so they would drive us out past Gordon's Bay, Bikini Beach. In a mountain road toward Kool-Bahai, Bay, right, and uh, there was a place there called the Jumping Rock, it was about 14 meters up in the air, and you would jump off this rock into False Bay, and then you would kind of like find your way down the coast a little bit, climb up on a little rock, and scuttle up the side, and it was like an adrenaline rush, and so for water polo, we would have to get, you know, we'd jump into the water, and we'd go around, and it was like this thing, and so the one day we thought we would taken up a notch. Like, I jumped it a few times. I'd help others jump it. And I was with some friends. We said, let's, let's go there and let's, let's take it up a notch. Let's see if we can, like, get across False Bay on a kneeboard. You know, life-saving kneeboard, like one of those, like, skinny, long, racing kneeboards. Like, you can imagine, like, that person born for it at 65 kilos, Is perfect, you know. But when you're looking at me at 85, closer to 90, and my friend who's much the same, considering what it's going to look like for us to not just jump off the rock, but paddle the racing life-saving board back to Bikini Beach, all of about two and a half, maybe three k's through False Bay. Now False Bay is is notorious. It's known for many things, uh, amongst which are the Great Whites. And so anyway, we're thinking like it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be so good. And so we throw the kneeboard off the edge. We look at each other, and we're like, well, we're not leaving it there, are we? So one guy goes, next guy joins, and before we know it, myself and my friend are lying pretty much on top of each other. It wasn't designed for two. It's not a tandem kneeboard, and we were submerged. We weren't going across the water. We were going underwater. I mean, we could literally see what was happening below us. We are that far down, and we realized at this point in time something really important. We're not going back up because if it was hard to climb up there without a kneeboard, it was next level to try and even think about it with we knew that our only shot of getting back to humanity was to paddle across False Bay. Oh, I wish I could tell you that I was brave. I wish I could tell you we were like standing and we were like waving to everyone on the cliff faces, but we were scared to say the least. I mean, it was like, it was scary, but there was destiny and we just thought it was exciting. And so we started paddling and there was white water everywhere and every little shadow looked like a great white shark. At least that's how I tell the story. And it was scary when I mean, we started making our way across False Bay. It's big, beautiful, scary bay. And at one stage, we had seals like coming up and dropping below us like this. And our seals, were like, when they're behind the screens, you know, your kids are like, ah, and they're stroking the grass. Let that thing come up next to you on a kneeboard so submerged, and you see those like teeth and the whisk. It's just, it's, it's, I know you're judging me right now if you're a big, brave man, but I was scared. But we paddled for dear life, and we eventually, obviously, made it back to shore. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here to tell the story. And when we got to Bikini Beach, everyone was celebrating, and everyone was like, yeah, like whatever. And we were just so happy to be alive. I didn't care about people. But I learned a valuable lesson that day. Having no plan B is powerful. It's powerful. Let me tell you, if I had had a plan B when I first jumped in that water, I wouldn't be able to tell you that I've paddled across False Bay and went back to Bikini Beach and swum with seals. I wouldn't have it a story. It would have just been another day. And so many of us are looking at the jump of this faith journey, already planning an exit strategy. All right, I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to kind of pray about, you know, God coming through in my business and I'm going to be in church, and I'm going to sing, I'm going to declare when Dubsy says these words aren't just words, there's a lighting of a flame, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to choose it, I'm going to go there, I'm going to I'm going to go there with them, and I'm going to sing these things, and I'm going to go and try and build my business, but when it doesn't work, I'm going to I'm going kind of go back to exclusive books, I'm going to go back to that leadership and psychology section, and I'm going to go and read another book, I'm going to go and try another approach, I've got a plan B if this doesn't work, God, I'm giving you a shot, but honestly, friends, let me tell you, if you don't learn to burn the plow of human effort, you'll never understand the supernatural. Natural power of grace the one thing I've learned in this story is to burn my plow is to choose to let go of what I hold on to you know when you read the story of Elisha and Elijah you can be quick to think yeah but it's just an exciting move like Elisha's pushing a plow around and then he's gonna go and hang out with the prophet of Israel Like, like he's leaving what he hated to go after what he wants you know like it's a good move But Elisha, friends, can I just be honest? He's not leaving what he hated. He's just letting go of what he held. He's he's literally choosing to lose his grip on the very thing that had been comforting in his life. It's his day job. It paid the bills. It probably kept some family going. It kept him half entertained between Monday and Friday. It made sure nothing would go. You know, it's like he was he was in some ways just going around and around. And it wasn't that he hated what he did. It's just that that's all he held in his hands. And Elijah comes to him and says, it's time to let go of what you're holding on to so tightly so that you can take on what you've been called to in grace. By the way, the word mantle, as I mentioned, is to transfer authority and responsibility. In the story of Elisha, it looks like he takes on the responsibility of a new job or a new vocation. But many uh, Bible scholars would say that this idea of a mantle or a cloak. In the New Testament, which is the world we live in, is actually a picture of Jesus when the Spirit of God came down upon him before his ministry began, before the miracles of God started through the life of Jesus. By the way, he was always born for it, but there was a transfer that took place that he would walk into it. You've been born for great things, but there is a moment of transfer when you start to step into them, and it's got something to do with burning the plow. And it says, when Jesus hears a voice from heaven, the spirit falls, he a voice from heaven descends upon him saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when the voice had spoken, his new season began. We can kind of take these two and put them together and say, the cloak Elijah was throwing on Elisha was less about a vocation and more about God's voice. It was less around, I'm gonna get a new job. I'm gonna start a new thing. I'm gonna step into a new. You see, we always put it down to a product or something that's gonna happen around us. No, it's the voice of God becoming active inside you. Burning the plow is not quitting your job, it's choosing the one you're in with a different spirit. It's not abandoning the family that you've been called to lead. It's choosing to burn your preference and ideals to how she loves you. It's choosing to burn the thing I hold on to. God, i got a grip on this thing. I've always done it this way. We eat this on a Sunday. We do this on a Wednesday. And God, we spend our money in this way. And God goes, that's cool. But if you want to go around in circles for the rest of life, keep going. But if you want to, if you want to land on the moon, do you know I was reading about the NASA mission again? I mean, let's be honest, they landed on the moon, and then what? Nothing's really become of that. Like a few things, but it's like we lost some momentum. And anyway, I was reading about the NASA mission and uh, thinking about Plan Bs, right? You all got a Plan B. Tap your name and say, no Plan B, man. Listen to this. About 20 years ago, some old documents were dug up that apparently revealed NASA's contingency plan if the ascent portion of the LEM failed and the astronauts were stuck there, basically their plan was to do nothing (laughs) except switch off all communication channels. And the astronauts were reportedly not aware of this plan. Thank God. Imagine Eldrin Eldrin and Armstrong. Hey, so like, like if it doesn't work, like, what's the game plan? You send someone else up to fetch us, Nixon. Um, yeah, why don't you just jump in the spaceship? We'll talk about that later, you know? Like, for sure, if I give you an out on day one, you're going to start thinking about it before you've even started. Like, humanity loves a quick out. Like, we're up for a challenge, for sure. Like, give me a go, give me a go. And then you jump and you're like, was there anything I could do differently like, like, when I remember when I said yes to God and, and kind of started the church thing, there were only like three of us, four of us, I don't know, 14 of us in a room, felt like nobody, but we had courage in our hearts. We're like, God, we're going to give this thing a go. We're going we're gonna to do church, and we're going to make it amazing. And, and then week in and week out, 14 people are out for a long time. And then you get to a point, you're like, about that accounting thing, like about that, like, you know, remember that, like, thing that you had, God, that thing that was working out actually before I started doing this thing that's not working out, like, maybe I should have bought Apollo 11, and some of you have been called to do great things for God. And it's got hard. And you've walked through seasons that you didn't anticipate or plan. And, and there is a plan B that's kind of starting to slide. I want to tell you, friends, cancel plan B. Go after the thing God's called you to. Listen to what, yeah, amen. Nixon, so while Eldrin and Armstrong had no idea there was no plan B, Nixon already had planned his speech if it didn't, didn't work out. Like, it's crazy. Like, I'm sure people are already thinking about what they're going to say when we fail the very thing that they told us not to do. Like Link Church, by the way. So many said it wouldn't work. But listen to this. Nixon prepares his speech. He says this. Fate. Are you ready for this? I never met him. Never heard his voice. But I feel like it went something like this. Fate has ordained. "...that the man who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace." These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, know there's no hope for their recovery, but they also know there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. Thanks, Nixon. That's great. For every man, a human being, who looks up to the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. I'm President Nixon, and I'm grateful that we're attempted at Apollo 11. He planned an exit speech, but you know what? Armstrong walked on the moon. I want to be the people, honestly, they're not planning exit speeches. You're welcome to come up with a story for my life if you want. But I'm going after the thing God's called me to. And I've canceled plan B, and I've called my kids on this journey, and I've called my wife on this journey, and we are locked and loaded, my friends. We're not going anywhere. Cancel plan B. You see, Elijah was inviting Elisha. Not into a new job, but into a new journey. God is not trying to swing your attention or tell you that that one never worked out, there's a better one. There may be change, I don't know. But the invitation of heaven, the burn, the plow, is not about changing your job. It's about going on a journey. And that journey got ups and downs, let me tell you. Tess and I have a blessed marriage, but it's not all been perfect. Perfect. It's the best thing that ever happened to me on this planet was to marry her. We've walked through some hard seasons, and we will walk through some more. And having children? (laughs) I'm only joking. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. But it didn't make it easy. And if you think being married and having children is the limit to God's capacity to work with you on earth, Friend, you got to start reading a new Bible because this thing says he's taking me and my family to places we've never dreamt of. He's going to let my children stand on my shoulders and go further than I ever thought I'd go. We're going to be the floor for the next generation. The second thing I think about when it comes to stepping out of your safe zone, you got to step out of your safe zone. It's not, you know, none of us are going to land on the moon unless we actually leave planet Earth, you know. We're going to have to get in that thing that seems a bit unlikely to succeed, and we're going to have to go after it in Jesus' name. But the second thing I've realized is once you've burnt your plow, or once you've chosen to not have a plan B, or you've settled the fact that this is where I am for this moment, I'm going to go for it, you need to, number two, focus your gaze. Uh, we live in a world of great distraction. Write this down. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Oh, man, I live in your world. Like, I'm not void of distraction, man. I wake up on a Monday and already I start thinking I'm doing an average job as a pastor, because Instagram told me three other churches just doubled, you know, and uh, and four other businesses just exploded while you were kind of figuring out how to just get the one off the ground. You know that feeling when you realize, like, man, there are people out there that are way beyond where I'm at, and you start to question your own self. You're distracted. Your destiny hasn't changed. It's still be, but you're distracted. Focus your gaze, you know, a little bit on Elijah and Elisha's life. Um, Elijah is now going to leave. And the very thing that he's told Elisha he would become is about to take place. And so in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6, Elijah says to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha says, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Hashtag stay the I will not leave you. I'm not about to check out just because it's starting to get tough. I'm here, Elijah. I'm walking with you, Elijah. I'm going, by the way, Elijah is a picture of Christ. Christ never left us. The invitation is, would we not leave him? There's this journey before us. And verse 9, it says this, And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, What may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Now listen to what Elisha asks for, the confidence of the young man. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Man, Elijah called down fire from heaven. That was Elijah's story. That was like Mount Carmel, like big moment. Elijah was one of the greatest in Israel. People feared him. He was so powerful. He could see so far into the future and had so much command over God's authority. He was that guy. And Elisha says, yeah, I want double what you got. Like, I want to go a little bit further. That would be like my children coming to me. and say, all right, girls, what do you dream of for one day? And they're like, well, Dad, we like what you've kind of got started, but we keen to, like, double up on it. You know, that moment when you realize, oh, wow, like, I'm not it. And Elisha says to Elijah... That would be like us friends saying to Jesus, All right, church, link church, what do you dream of? Well, Jesus, it's awesome that your disciples kind of took the gospel into that region. We're kind of keen to take it to the ends of the earth, like you said we would. And we're keen to plant churches across Africa. And we're trusting God that we would shape a culture in South Africa and we would have influence in this nation. Jesus, do you mind if I keep going for a second? We're also asking for prominent property in all the key spaces in Africa so that the church would be the hub from which life flows. And in fact, Jesus, do you mind if I just keep going a little bit? We're also asking for extreme wealth in our family, God, extreme blessing in our family, God. I'm expecting you to do great things with my family, God, and a voice in society that people actually want to listen to for your glory. Can I keep going? God's like, keep going as long as you want. Whatever you've asked for, watch this. Elijah says, you've asked a difficult thing, verse 10. Some translations say impossible. And yet, nevertheless... If you see me when I'm taken from you, if you fix your gaze, it shall be for you what you have asked. But if not, it can't be so. Dylan, you keep going on for as long as you want of the godly desires that are in your heart. And I feel like God looks at me as a father and says, my son, it shall be as you wish. Just stay focused, my boy. Just keep your eyes on the prize. Don't be distracted because people are going to tell you that there's a better way to do it. People are going to let you know via Facebook, Instagram, social media, and SABC3 that there is something else out there that is better than what you do right now. It's not true. You're the best version of you, and to be you is the most powerful thing to this world. And burning the plow is one thing, but fixing my gaze is another. I want to fix my gaze. I want to keep the main thing The main thing, listen to what Stephen Furtick said. This is so powerful. He said, we live in a world that is drowning in information, but people are starving for truth. He went on to say that Jesus has become more like Siri than our Savior. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, like, what do you think of this, Jesus? Like, should I park here today or should I park close to the parking lot, you know, like? Should I walk a bit further to school today, Jesus? Should I send my kid to this? Hey, look, I'm not making light. I'm just telling you, friends, like we've limited God to a Siri conversation. Hey, quick check-in. What should I do? All right, check out. What if the gospel was not about God resourcing us? It was about God being in relationship with us. He will resource you. Oh, my life has been nothing without God. Tess and I sat on the sofa last night chatting, as we often do before a Sunday. And we got to about half past 10 last night. We said, I guess we better go to bed. But up until then, we had had tears coming down our eyes as we sat and chatted to each other and started to recall every blessing that God had given us in the last 10 years of our lives. And we started to list them. We started to call them by name. Some of them were our children. Some of them was our marriage. Some of them were my parents. Some of them were business people in this church that have put life in my soul. Some of them have been generous people that have built these buildings, that have made the gospel go further and we just started to listen and we got so grateful and you know what it made us fix our gaze again made us fix our gaze again we can get so distracted by what we don't have that we lose sight in what we do and Elijah looked at Elisha he says my son my friend Elisha that's a bold prayer but you'll get it if you keep your gaze on me someone said that in a culture where everything is so accessible God has become quite common and so we live in. A, we can choose anything, like you can do anything, be anyone, go anywhere, which is not entirely true. But we won't go there today. You can only be who you are, by the way. But anyway, um, you know, you, you, it's so common, and so what happens is, in a culture where we've always had access to God, our attitude toward Him has become common, and so we no longer hear Him because even though we have access to Him, He's become just one of the other noises that we hear daily. And I think there is a there is a call to the church. If you need a to church today. I want to tell you, I invite you in on the greatest story that God will ever tell in your life, which is to do relationship with God. He may heal your marriage. I believe he will. He may heal your life. I believe he will. He may heal your business. I believe he will. But what he really wants is to go on a journey with you. And he wants you to watch him closely. And others are going to have stuff to say, but God wants to speak to you personally, sir. He wants to have a voice into your heart, ma'am. When all the other noise is kind of around you, God wants to get a moment with you because there is something in that. You see, we go after resource, not relationship, but I believe God is not common. His voice is not common. It's not just another thing we have access to. It's the greatest gift on the planet to know that there is a heavenly Father by the grace of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that does life with people on earth and takes us to the moon. And so can I help you today? The will of God is not which job you choose. The will of God is not what school to send your children to, (laughs) you know, we live in a culture now where it's like, hey, what school you go? To? What school did you go to? So I went to Northwood School, I'm proud of it. We learned how to samurai fight. And my brother went to my class, I'm proud of it. He learned how to set tables. You know, there's a different approach to everything. <laughs> if you're a my class boy, we love you. But the truth is, I don't really care what school you went to. You know when I lived in Transka, I went to a school called Nabutle, remember that one? Yeah, like I mean we did learn math but we've spent more time fishing for grunter in the river of the what I'm trying to say to you is we keep looking for the will of God in the product that's around us, in the, in the environment that's around us. God, if I just do this, will it be okay? Will it make sense to me? God, if I fix my gaze, God, will you just fix this situation? It's not a resource. It's not, it's not what school you go to. It's not what job you take. It's not where you live, what country you live in. Can I tell you what it is? It's the presence of God living inside of you because it doesn't matter what job I'm in. When I carry his presence, i got some power. And we live in a culture that's so desperate to know, God, where do you want me to be? Like, like, like God's about to like give you a flash. So, whoa, okay, missed it. Okay, God, come at me again. I'm thinking again. I'm thinking again as if there's a perfect place for you to be. No, there is a presence of God that is the invitation of heaven for you to journey with God. doesn't matter where you are. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And some of us are pausing the promises of God because we think it's out there, but it's actually in here. And so Christ in me, I start to declare it over my life and my family, I am blessed. I don't care what my bank account says. I'm blessed. I am free. I don't care what went down through my family line and that little moment of anger I have every now and again and the little kind of discrepancy. I, I'm, I'm free. I'm loved. I'm significant. Can I spin it around? you loved. You're significant. You're a world changer. You're a born influencer. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Honestly, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. I'm burning the plan, I'm canceling plan B and I'm fixing my gaze.